Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Grr, arr, go. Some bad hat Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll finally be discussing Lovecraft Country Season 1. Damask Leary, mm. where the fuck have you been? I don't know. Avoid somewhere. <laughs> the things I've seen. I can now name myself. Um, no, I've, I don't know. Just been hanging out with my cat who's very, very sick. Very poor sick. Poor girl. I didn't quite. I, I knew she was very sick. You explained <laughs> to me today just how sick she was. Yeah, poor like, girl is blind now. Skin and bones. She's she's on her way out, but she, she's chugging along. So I spent about two to three ways. Two to three weeks sleeping on the floor with her Aww. in the spare room because the poor dear don't, didn't know where she was. So uh, she's she's doing better now, but yes, it's it's just kind of hospice care at this point. Poor that's dear, sad. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's all right. These things happen. How long have you had Mal for now? Um, I think I got her when she was seven, and she's thirteen now. Okay. Yeah. Poor thing. Yeah. She's a good cat too. She is. Uh, what else has been happening? Anything exciting? Anything oh, to announce? Just, you know, the beginning of a new life again. Mm. We are face to face. Isn't that nice? I'm in, oh, yeah. I'm in your that. new house. Yes, welcome. Which I only saw for the first time the other day when we had our first, like, in-person D&D game mm. for, all, for the entire year, right? Uh, did we have one? I think we had one. No, we had one in May as well. Did we? Yeah, people came down in May for that two weeks. We are like... Slotted one in real quick. Right. <laughs> we haven't one, had one since that then. That desperate look in our eyes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so that was really, really lovely. So just kind of being able to go to people's houses again, mm. eat out at restaurants, which is fabulous. Um, when I've got the money, because I still don't have a job. Uh, but thank you, the the tiny crumbs I'm getting from JobKeeper is still coming through, which is good. That's good. I shouldn't complain to international listeners who are getting little to no support. That's true. Um, but no, other than that, just kind of really quite happy that things are almost back to normal yeah do genuinely feel for people in the northern hemisphere at the moment though who are heading into their winter and their christmas and things seem to be getting worse not better in a lot of ways we've endured these lockdowns and they suck but also worth Mm. it like we did have lockdown in winter but it's not christmas time so nothing nothing happens here in winter i think we missed the comedy festival and that's in march that that didn't happen too though but like that, what happens in winter here? The football. I understand the football. Love the footy. It's not Christmas though. Like, but you, st- I mean, you can go to a game, but you still kind of had football. That's a good point. I could still yeah. watch it. Yeah. I suppose the same way you can watch your family dinner over Zoom. <laughs> yeah. So what are you complaining about up there? Yeah. No, it's very sad. I, can I, you tell I'm being sympathetic. Is, is that what we're coming across? I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, I'm because this will be my last Chrissy in Melbourne because I'll be moving to Perth sometime next year. So I'm glad that things have cleared up for now. Who knows what's going to happen? But mm. so I'll be able to have Christmas with the people I love. That would be good. Looking forward to that. All right, let's not delay any longer and get to our spoiler-free review of Lovecraft Country Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Lovecraft Country is an American horror drama television series developed by Misha Green, writer on Heroes, Sons of Anarchy, and Spartacus, and produced by Monkey Paw Productions, founded by Jordan Peele of Keen Peele, Get Out, and Us Fame, and is based on the 2016 novel of the same name by Matt Ruff. The show follows Atticus Freeman as he joins up with his friend Letitia and his uncle George to embark on a road trip across 1950s Jim Crow America in search of his missing father while surviving both the racist terrors of white America and the terrifying monsters that could be ripped from a Lovecraft paperback. The show stars Journey Smolton, Jonathan Majors, Anjanu Ellis, Courtney B. Vance, Wunmi Mosaku, Abby Lee, Jamie Chung, Jada Harris, and Michael K. Williams, and premiered on HBO on August 16th, 2020. Season 1 consists of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 56 minutes, and took us approximately 9 hours and 25 minutes to watch. So before we get to our review, Damask, how familiar are you with the work of H.P. Lovecraft? Uh, and of course, the Matt Ruff book, Lovecraft Country, Matt, sorry, Matt Ruff book, Lovecraft Country, and uh, maybe even the previous works of Misha Green and Jordan Peele. So well, that was four questions to answer there. your question, as you were asking me that, I was like, oh, yeah, I've read uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, but I'm quite sure that was Jules Verne. That's definitely <laughs> so Lovecraft. That's, that's how familiar I am with any of those things. Sure. Yeah, yeah, not at all, not at all. Uh, so I, I watched Get Out, Jordan Peele's thing, yes. and I used to watch Keen Peele. Um, I was going to say Misha Green, but that's not right, is it? Mm-hmm. I was thinking of the guy from Supernatural. That's <laughs> Sorry, I'm all over the place. Haven't watched any of it, but I was looking up Underground, and I was like, I actually do want to watch that show. I haven't – that's Misha Green's thing before this. Yep. Um, but, yeah, little to no knowledge – I'm not, why I say little. No knowledge over here, bro. What about you? H.P. Lovecraft is a weird one. I've not read any of his books or anything like that, but there is an influence on society and pop culture from Lovecraft yeah. that, I'm, that I'm familiar with. Cthulhu is yeah. an entity that I'm aware of. There was the Penny Arcade, the Rain Slick, Pre- Slick Pre- Precipice of Darkness was the name of the game series that was sort of... Just rolls off the tongue, it doesn't does. it? It does. It's actually a great title, but it is hard to say. Um, that was very Lovecraft inspired. That's probably the most time I've spent inside anything that's even vaguely Lovecraft. Mm. I think Mind Flayers and D and D are kind of Lovecraftian mm. as well. Um, things like that. So it's more the echoes of Lovecraft than anything specific. Even yeah. South Park. I think Cthulhu has been in. Was it one of the games, or there's an episode that involves Cartman as as one of his superheroes or something like that? Anyway. Things like that. Mm. In terms of Misha Green and Jordan Peele, I've watched Heroes um, and a few of the other things she's been involved with. Uh, but Jordan Peele's probably the big one. Obviously, Get Out, which I loved. Us, which I thought was decent. Um, I haven't seen his Twilight Zone stuff, though. Although I think he was more hosting and executive producing. I don't know how right. creatively involved mm. he was in that as well. Even with this, it's like exactly how creatively involved he is. I'm not sure. But certainly... I understand his influence on getting like uh, African-American voices in pop culture and horror in particular recently mm. um, has really, really been influential. So that's been cool. So I'm familiar with that to that degree. So never read the book by Matt Ruff or any of Lovecraft stuff though. With all that said, Damask, would you like to give your spoiler-free review of Lovecraft Country Season 1? 
Sure, why not? It's been <laughs> it's been long enough. <laughs> I've prepared something. But people have waited. <laughs> oh, they've cried for it. Cried for it. Okay, here we go. This show is Nutball's Banana Pants. It is pulpy in its intention and execution. Each episode brings a new adventure, which feels super fun. However, sometimes the quick change between genres leaves the character experience behind. I can see why some might not be interested in this, and that's fair enough. It can feel disorientating. Is that right? Disorienting? Disorientating. Yep, sure. Sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) Let's not decide on anything. All right. Um, But I was compelled by the majority of the stories that were told. The world is weird. Sometimes I wasn't really clear on how our characters got the information they needed in order to jump to the next point of the adventure. But to be honest with you, I didn't really care. I just wanted to get to wherever they were going. The cast is also fabulous. There is a lot of talent on screen. And while the show is more plot heavy than character focused, the performances allowed for a lot of attachment on my part. I wanted everyone to survive and destroy the big bad. Also, they are very, very beautiful and I am into it. I found each part of the story pretty strong. However, it's the stitching together of those parts that is the most underwhelming in the show. Along the way, I got the vibe that I want to sit in the horror sci-fi moments of the week rather than get clues about the bigger mystery of the story. And that was proven absolutely true when the show ended. I had a great time along the way, but didn't feel satisfied by the ending. I think the aspirations of the narrative were a little too unruly and unmanageable by the end. I've watched this show twice now, and I actually enjoyed it more the second time around. I think it's a fun horror adventure series that I will happily go back to time and time again. Now, I am a white woman. I am certainly not qualified or informed enough to comment on the appropriateness or effectiveness of the molding of pulpy style storytelling with the trauma experienced by black people in America. I did, however, read a great article on theringer.com by Lex Pryor about just that. And I encourage everyone to, to head there and read it. It's called Lovecraft Country Was Undeniably Flawed. Maybe that's the point. And that's once again on The Ringer. So check that out. And I'm sure Brad will put it in the show notes. In summary, this show was a lot of fun to watch. I didn't realize how much I wanted a crazy adventure sci-fi fantasy series that was crammed full of narrative surprises that have me in each episode saying, what the fuck just happened? It's not perfect, but I didn't need it to be. The ride was fun enough. I really did love it. Brud, over to you. Okay. Stop me if this sounds familiar, but Lovecraft Country Season 1 starts out with lots of promise and a heap of ideas, but for one reason or another, struggles to execute over its 10-episode run. We've done this before with similar similar high-concept shows. I was fully on board after its excellent pilot. It was fun, an engaging concept, strong characters, great performances, effective, if not subtle, commentary and themes, lots of style and some clever twists on familiar concepts. But then it needed to make a full season. Lovecraft Country Season 1 is a show of buts. For all its positives, mm, those buts. <laughs> there are just as many negatives. From a style perspective, it has it in spades. It's well shot, 
with great period sets and costumes, a fun mix of modern and period soundtrack, impressive visual effects, especially for TV. Exactly what you would want from a show of this type. Even goes a step further with clever twists on tropes, such as a road trip montage, punctuated not by music, but by speeches on race relations, and impressive single-take tracking shots through crowds and action sequences. It understands and fully fully, fully utilises the Lovecraftian horror as metaphor for right, widespread life-threatening racism, but <laughs> the show struggles to pull all these individual strong elements into a cohesive, comprehensive narrative. Mm. To its credit, it's trying something ambitious, with each episode being very different from the next, with big new ideas and even genre shifts, whilst also trying to be a serialised story, but leans way stronger into the former at the expense of the latter. What's already confusing and convoluted is exacerbated by clunky flow, including weird jump cuts in time, not seeing and just hearing about seemingly key events <laughs> and just generally odd pacing overall. Then again, if you're here for some visually spectacular and graphic horror, then you're in the right place. The show has some of the most gruesome and confronting body mutilation I have ever seen, including close-up decapitations and buckets of shredded flesh and blood. But... What works to begin with loses its impact as the violence becomes trivial. Not just because it is frequent, but because our characters stop reacting to it, and some of them even participate in it with very little reaction to it. Across the board, performances are great. I really liked everyone, but was especially impressed with Jonathan Majors, who plays Atticus, and Wunmi Masaku, who plays Ruby. But... Oh, God. <laughs> I told you, it's shell butts. While the actors give it their all, their characters are let down by a pulpy story and serviceable but overall average writing. Yes, pulpy is stylistically appropriate, but everything is so serious. At least have some fun and humour alongside the dozens of secrets and soap operatic revelations. Most frustrating of all, though, this show is full of weird, wonderful, dazzling and imaginative ideas, but... They try to pack so much in that there just isn't enough space or follow through to make them all work together. Even going so far as to introduce multiple characters and ideas that seem important or at least interesting and then just get cut short, abandoned or forgotten about entirely. As I got deeper into the season, I tried to figure out what other shows Lovecraft Country reminded me of and finally it hit me. Um, that start, shared some of the same sins as American Gods. Not as bad as American Gods. Thank you for clarifying that. It's important. But a lesser version of the, of the strong visuals, themes and performances with a major narrative and character problem. Ultimately, Lovecraft Country Season 1 is kind of like the magic talked about ad nauseum within the show. Impressive and powerful when you get all the ingredients right, but relies on a delicate balance that, when off, blows up in your face and ends in a big mess. Damask, how would you score this season out of five stars? I'd give it a 3.5. I'm not too far off. I'm giving it a three. There is enough strong elements that uh, I wouldn't say I'd recommend the show, but I think there are people who are going to find something to enjoy. What you're saying about watching a second time and getting more out of it, maybe I would have too. It's just frustrated me so much at times it's hard for me to want to go back to it. But there's enough strong stuff here from performances and visuals and ideas that deserves to be a pass mark. But man, really, just as it went on, I was just like, what the fuck is going on this show? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys the show to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. We would also love you to share hunting seasons with all the cool people you hang out with, not any of those losers, just in case they might like listening too. Next week, we'll be back with our review of The Queen's Gambit Season 1. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of The Queen's Gambit or if you have any thoughts on Lovecraft Country, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include in a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at huntingscast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for Lovecraft Country Season 1. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Lovecraft Country. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Lovecraft Country up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Story time with Damask. I have decided to bring back the award-winning and much-celebrated segment called Storytime with Damask, and I'm so glad I decided to do it on an episode in which I barely understand or remember the plot of the show we're reviewing. Just another example of the great choices I make in life. You're welcome. All right, so we're in Chicago in the 50s. Now it's the 1950s to be exact. And in case you're wondering why that wouldn't need clarifying, holy jeez, just wait for it. So that's where we are, and a Korean war vet named Atticus is returning home because his dad has gone missing. So he visits his uncle and aunt who run a travel book publishing house, I guess. This whole family is a bunch of sci-fi nerds, and you love to see it. So Atticus, his uncle George, and his childhood friend Letty head off to Massachusetts because that's where they think Papa might be. 
Don't ask me how they come to that conclusion. I never know how our characters know things. I was drunk when I watched, and I'm sorry for that, but now after listening to Broth's review, I realise it's not me. I think from memory he left him a note that told him that his family secret was going to be... No, no, I don't want to hear it. It's not my fault. Okay. So they head there. They encounter evil racist cops, so you know, regular cops. Lol's political, but not really. It's just reality. Anyway, these mean cops chase them through the forest, but before they get killed, some giant Rottweilers that have escaped from the local dog fighting ring attack everyone. But wait... They're not roided up dogs. Uncle George and Atticus are such super nerds that they recognise the beast characteristics of those from their storybooks. Turns out reading is cool, kids. And they figure out the beasties hate light. Nice. While they fight off the hellhounds, Letty reveals herself to be Chicago's own Kathy Freeman and runs at the speed of light to their car and brings it back to save the day. Woohoo! Everyone is saved. Then the trio comes upon a mansion that is inhabited by people entirely devoid of pigment. Looks like my family reunion. Because there's blonde people and then there are translucent psychopaths. Turns out they're a super rich family that got super rich from slavery and believe themselves to be the direct descendants of Gandalf the Aryan. Atticus' great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was a slave in the house and was raped by the owner of the house. She lit the shit on fire, though, and made a run for it with a secret and very important book. But we'll come back to that later. Maybe. I may not remember it. Who knows? We'll see what happens later on. Anyway, turns out the man of the house and his glowing, ethereal fetus of a daughter want to cut Atticus up and use his blood for a spell that grants the dad eternal life. Atticus, George and Letty all say fuck no to that. The house explodes. They manage to free Montrose, Atticus' father, and run away. But not before Uncle George dies. It is sad. Also, I forgot to mention that Letty was shot and on the verge of death, but Atticus agreed to participate in the spell to save her. Is that right? Sure, it feels right. So she's pulled a full Buffy season six, except Letty seems happier about it. When they get back to Chicago, Letty has a spring in her step and buys a house. Oh, it feels nice to own property. She wants to turn it into a boarding house with the help of her sister Ruby. Too bad it's haunted. Dang it. Christina, the glowing fetus, asks Atticus for help finding some random pages from an ancient baby name book. It's important for a spell or some shit. Letty banishes the ghost with the power of being a badass. Turns out the house was built by another old white racist guy. But aren't they all? Montrose finds out the pages from the ancient baby name book are beneath the museum, so the gang does a national treasure into the building. They find the pages as well as a frozen two-spirit person who can help them decipher it. Except Montrose absolutely loses his shit and kills that person. Good going, Montrose. I see that velvet rage is working a treat. Meanwhile, Hippolyta and Dee are off following clues about George's death because they absolutely do not buy the bullshit story they've been told. Also, Ruby meets a white man called William who, spoiler alert, turns out to be Christina in necromancy drag. Christina, in drag, gives Ruby a magical potion that turns her into a white woman. It is very bloody and very gross, but also kind of gay. So I have confusing feelings about it. I have no further comment at this time. Then we go back in time to Korea and meet Jiha, who is very cool, but also very sad because she is a kumiho. She falls in love with Atticus. He bails on her when he discovers she's got murderous tails, though, which, boo, you're weak, Atticus, and Jiha deserves better. Also, she sees his future, and apparently he's gonna die if he goes back to Chicago. Uh Uh-oh. 
Back in the present, or the 50s, whatever, back to the main timeline, Hippolyta is following the clues of George's death, she discovers a multiverse time machine, some more evil cops find her, and then she shoots one in a scuffle, Atticus throws another into a portal, and then Hippolyta is sucked up too. She's transported to an Afro-futuristic amazeballs universe that I am very invested in. More please, more please. She's given the opportunity of experiencing possibility, which until that time had been entirely denied her. And it is so fucking cool. I loved it. Was everyone filled with absolute glee? Because you should have been. She sees more than any human could imagine, living in an infinity of lives across multiple universes and comes to a place where she is able to name herself. She is a discoverer. Well, all that shit is cool. She knows she's got to go home and be with Dee. Back to 50 Chicago and we are at Emmett Till's funeral. No jokes, none. It is full on for every character, but particularly for Dee, who is friends with Emmett. She, understandably so, is distraught by what has happened, but also at the disappearance of her mum. While she wanders the streets, evil cops come and spit a curse onto her, and then she is tormented by two evil minstrel characters that had me shitting in my own Dax. The only way to break the curse is if she gives the evil head cop a golden diorama of planets that Hippolyta found. Dee tells them to fuck themselves and decides to deal with the evil spirits herself. She does pretty well, certainly better than I would, but ultimately she succumbs. Meanwhile, Gia is back and all like, I told you you were in trouble and also I deserve an apology, which thankfully Atticus gives and I'd like all of my exes to watch that scene and give me a call. I am waiting. Letty took some photos of the baby name book that they found in the museum and gives them to Christina in exchange for a protection spell. Now she can't die, which is super helpful. Also, Atticus does a protection spell, which comes in handy when the evil cops come to shoot up their house. Also, Ruby is still hanging out and canoodling with Christina, and I'm usually totally up for any queer situation, but Ruby, in the great words of Odomay Brown, you in danger, girl. Hippolyta comes back, and Christina helps lift Dee's curse, kinda. Yes, there's a lot happening. Moving forward, the gang still needs to get the baby name book, though, so they decide to use the multiverse machine and go back to Tulsa 1921 to get it. Did they need to go back to the precise day of the Tulsa massacre to get it? Yeah, did they? I mean... No, but then if they didn't, I guess Atticus wouldn't be there to save his dad. So who knows? Time travel hurts my brain and I don't want to talk about it anymore. Meanwhile, Letty manages to get the book from Atticus' grandma and they all hop back to the main timeline. Yay. All right. Atticus and Letty get sucked into a flaming upside down while using the baby book to totally cure D. There they hang out with Atticus' ancestors. They all tell him to kick ass. Atticus summons the evil white ancestor to nom nom on some racist flesh, which is going to help his spell, apparently. Letty begs Ruby to dump her toxic girlfriend and help them by stealing some of her white wisps she calls hair. Ruby says no, but actually, turns out she does help them. But Christina finds out and kills her. And then Christina disguises herself as Ruby and comes along for an adventure. That sucks. Very sad. I haven't recovered. R.I.P. Ruby. When Letty finds out, she is pissed and fights Christina. She loses, though, by way of Bran Stark. But don't fret, she comes back to life and is voted ruler of King's Landing. Jokes. Anyway, Christina is doing her evil spell. She starts draining poor Atticus. Looks like everything is very bad. But then Gia saves the day with her super-duper fox powers. Once more, things explode and stuff. Christina is pinned beneath some rubble. All magic is removed from her and all white people, which is 
fair because if we've learned one thing from J.K. Rowling, it's that white people don't deserve magic. Then the gang high fives, except for Atticus because he is definitely dead. While all the grown-ups get ready to leave, Dee comes along with a robotic arm and a hellhound for a pet and crushes Christina's head like a grape. It's a beautiful thing. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Firstly... What a welcome return to oh. the podcast, getting story time with Damas back. It's been a while. I feel weak in my body after that. <laughs> like, I feel deprived of, deprived of nutrients. Um, <laughs> you spent however long it's been since your last one, which might be over maybe two years now. Yeah, probably. It's been a long time. It's been a while just to recover from the last one to mm. do this again. So, we'll wait another couple of years to get another <laughs> one of those. That's right. It's special edition episodes, these ones. Totally. Second of all, if that didn't show anything, what a mess of a narrative this show is. <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah. Let's start. Uh-huh. Uh, what What do you think is going wrong with this show when it comes to... Well, uh, do you think there's anything wrong with what the show is doing from a overall serialized narrative point of view? Because I kept looking at this show and thinking, this is like in line with Buffy, what Buffy has done a lot of ways, you know, episode of the week, we'll do a certain genre or monster or idea, but overall, you know, this will build to something bigger over the course mm. of a season. You might even argue sort of Sabrina, the Chili Veg Sabrina's got similar stuff going on, which we've already said is very Buffy-esque. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it just didn't seem to really come together in a cohesive way. And I think for me, the problem was there was just too many ideas. So the overarching narrative was so convoluted mm. and complicated that there wasn't enough space to fit that in and have these well, high concept that's the episodes. Thing is, it was doing two things yeah. at once and two really big things at once. It was like this really convoluted like season-long arc mm. and then you've got these really complicated kind of different genre for every episode, mm-hmm. which is a hard thing to pull off, full stop. So then you combine those two things and it just becomes a bit unwieldy and I think – I was having fun watching it week to week and at like every episode I'd have a few drinks. I'm like, I don't really know what's going on, but I know I'm having a good time watching whatever I'm watching. So that was fine. But then it wasn't until we got to the final episode, right? So the culmination of all those little kind of exposition dumps that the poor Christina character has to constantly put down. Walk into wherever they are. She just shows Mm -hmm. up because she's got a reason to be there, I guess. Have a bit of you know, an exchange, mm-hmm. talk a bunch of law and leave again. Mm-hmm. And you're left going, why isn't anyone doing something about this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> But you can quickly like forget about those scenes and just be like, okay, I'm on this adventure. I'm, a, I'm in this kind of show, blah, 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 whatever. And that was fine. I think it's a fine way to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until the final episode watching that it me- made me go, oh, I really don't care yes. about that story. Yeah. And I think it made me go, oh, this show really would have excelled as a monster of the week Scooby-Doo show. Mm-hmm. And you can do, if you do want an overarching narrative, that's fine, but it can't be the most compli- complicated part of the show yeah. when the show itself seems to think that it's one of the least interesting parts of it, uh, it Well, in it, episode yeah, to episode. I think it just comes down to execution. And in a lot of ways, I think it comes down to writing. And I don't necessarily mean mm. dialogue, although I don't think the dialogue is exceptional in this show. There are very few quotable lines that I remember from this show, mm. realistically. I think the characters are particularly strong in a lot of ways. I think they have interesting uh, struggles they're going through. Mm. I care and sympathise with these characters in a lot of ways. But then what it kind of all boiled down to me in a lot of ways is stuff that we've seen plenty of. You know, It's all about the power of family and the power of friends and like, you mm. know, it's... It the the solutions at the end 
seem to come down to just their connections more mm. than anything, I think. Because beyond that, it's, it's hard to say what the magic was doing or not doing. I'm still confused about why some things happened or why they didn't. The power of the individuals and then collectively, I don't know. And it's just like, but there are ways of doing that so much simpler without it feeling like I need to be reading a Wikipedia page along with it to understand what's going on or having a fantastic story time with Damask to even follow along with that. Like it's just, it may, it got in its own way so often yeah. when trying to get to what I don't think was all that amazing or revelatory mm. a sort of overall arc for the season. Yeah, I think I love the idea of this adult goosebumps thing, but you get to go back to the same characters with each adventure. I think sure. that's really cool. But yeah, the it was one of those things that I just had to kind of wave it away, all of those things that I couldn't follow. Like, like mm. I said in my spoiler for a review, you know, there were plenty of times where I didn't understand where – the characters got their information from. And I'm sure it was in dialogue, but the dialogue was so either spoken really quickly or really quietly or just like gone in a flash and there was so much information there and then we're cut to another scene. I I found it hard to absorb things. Yeah, it was said very matter-of-factly. They would say words and names and it's been a couple of, you know, a few weeks since I've finished watching the season. I haven't gone back to it, but like, you know, they throw around the name of a, an ancestor of somebody or a relative of somebody or a book or a piece of magic or the pages or the whatever it is. And, like, I know they need to get these MacGuffin-y things, but I don't necessarily always understand the significance of them well enough to care why they need to get them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just the failure of the writing. It's a failure of you making me, the audience, give a shit about that stuff. That's That's the problem there, I think. Yeah, I thought, you know, the first time I watched it was week to week, you know, in lockdown, having a good time watching it. Obviously, I was like, I can't follow this, but I can't follow a lot of things and I've accepted that about myself. And then on the rewatch, I was doing it sober in prep for the podcast because I was like, I, I need to know what's going on. <laughs> come on, come on. Um, and even then I was like, oh, I don't think it's me. <laughs> like, no. I think it is like... Really hard, and obviously, like reading recaps and stuff is really helpful to do that. But sure, that owner shouldn't be on the audience to have to kind of really reflect on not themes, not any of that stuff, but plot. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's a lot of work to do. And in saying that, I think this show can still be really enjoyed. Definitely, if you know, if you don't care, like I didn't the first time I watched it because I wasn't really watching it, thinking about reviewing it for the show. Mm. I was just watching it, and it. I had a blast. Every episode finished and I was like, that was so much fun mm-hmm. or that was so gross or like I just didn't know where we were going at any turn and that can just be a really re- rewarding feeling in and of itself when mm. watching TV. And I'd be like, where the fuck are they going to take us? Or you're in the middle of the story, like where could this possibly go in a really exciting way? There's a show that's currently airing week to week that I'm having the exact experience with every week and I'm freaking loving it what because show? of that. The Mandalorian, yes, which, we'll, that's, we'll, two, which we'll get to talking about. Oh, so excited to talk about that. Just see yes, how the, the rest of the season goes. But that's like mm. that experience of the week to week. Come in, sit down for forty minutes. Come out the other side. Go. I didn't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen this week. Mm-hmm. And then you get to then go. I had a fun time this week. Can't wait for next week. Yeah, it's a great thing to have. It is. Um, but yeah, when you start to like sift through, I'm not even talking about the Mandalorian. Now. I'm going back yeah. to my country. <laughs> when you start to sift through it and like go, okay, but did that hold up? Yeah. I think the thing as well is when it's complicated story or when the plot seems complicated, right, mm. and you don't get it, 
there'll be people out there who are fans that will go, oh, you just you just weren't paying enough attention. Or you just didn't mm. get it. And the thing is, I don't think the story is that complicated. It's just been told poorly. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think this is any more complicated than a season of Charmed. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in terms of the great good versus evil magic, you know, sort of plot that's going on mm. here. That's what it... The themes are more interesting than yeah. that, but the plot is not that much more difficult. It's just messy and told poorly. And so then it's frustrating to try and deal with that as it happens mm. at you. There are, anyway. I mean, yes, it's not overly complicated. I think there are a lot of characters, particularly a lot of like kind of, I think, probably superfluous characters. Um, I'm thinking of, I get there are like a catalyst for a lot of plot points, I guess, but that evil cop who is in like in like challenging Christina in terms of the right of taking over or whatever. Do I, we need Christina to have that problem? Do I, we need I mean, our villain to have her own biases that she's dealing with? Like yeah, that's I don't the think purpose so. of that right, as far as I understand, and mm. from what I understand from the from I know from the books, right, because mm. Christina is not a woman. Yeah. Right? She's a man, a white man, mm-hmm. um, who wants this thing from Atticus, right? Yeah. Essentially. And so by making her a woman, not a bad choice. As but- a white woman, I'm going to write a letter. Like that kind of <laughs> struggle. Sure. Yeah. But she then is given this whole thing that she is fighting against men who don't deem her worthy of the position that she rightly by right of blood, which we can argue... By self-righteousness. By self-righteousness that she deserves, deserves, right? And that is her struggle this season. Did we need that for that character? Is that worth our time? But the thing is, like, they say that's a struggle for her, but is it really that much of a struggle? I know she wants the thing, but other than, like, wanting to be, you know, the leader of whatever the fuck that is... She lives a pretty amazing life and I'm not seeing a whole lot of struggle. So it doesn't feel like as a white woman, I am being persecuted. She's an incredibly rich, powerful white woman. So is it's, it, it's is, just is like, it, is shut it, up. Is it a critique on and, white feminism? And I think it, it absolutely is because sure. Christina posits herself as an ally. Yeah, and I think in sure. terms of Ruby, who begins suspicious, is then manipulated by this white ally character um, who offers them like a slice of what they have um, in terms of being compliant and and all of that stuff. But I just don't think it's effective or or clear. I think it's murkied by the more kind of more influences and shit that you just put on top of it to make a point. Like, yeah, yeah. The more bullet points you have, you might as well just write a fucking chapter because you're just making it too murky. Yeah. Well, it's, Again, I think it comes down to, like, I think on a character-by-character level, I definitely feel for their plight. I feel for their struggles. But sometimes I feel the show is just not giving them enough room to really have that properly. Or touches on it, gives it that millisecond in the spotlight, and then moves on really quickly onto other bullshit. And it's like, again, it's just it's a show that's too full. It's got these great elements. You mix them all together ineffectively. And it, you're just left with a mess. I just, just don't understand why she, uh, why she was, and if someone wants to, they can explain it to me. I'm open to it. Why she needed or wanted the experience of being murdered the same way that Emmett Till was. I it's it's one of my absolutely. I do not understand. Have I, I don't missed know, something? I don't know what it's in like 
re- like I don't know what the metaphor is. I don't know what the symbolism is. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I have no idea. Because I thought the conversation with Christina and Ruby have about, obviously, she doesn't really care about Emmett Till. It's not important to her saying that to Ruby and obviously, like, showing their difference of perspective and all of that. And, like, that perhaps, like, at that time, a chasm that simply cannot be crossed. Yeah. Which is fine. But then, like... I felt like I knew her position. I felt like I knew the character. And then this moment happens and I don't know what it is for. Uh, is is the comment being made without ever actually commenting on it? Because, mm. because we see Christina do it, but then no other character knows that she did it, right? Like yeah, Ruby doesn't get thing. to have the conversation with her about her doing that to discuss it. So let's say, for instance, the conversation is you can't ever understand or you don't really care about Emmett Till, mm. right? She goes, well, I'm going to find out what that's like to experience. So she goes and gets herself murdered in the same way that he did to experience it. And then the comment is, but she was never really in danger because well, she was always going to survive, like, right? You, would so, never, you don't have the fear of being like... Totally. And that <laughs> might be the comment. That might be what the show is trying to say. It's like you can try and put yourself in these shoes, but you can't ever know that experience, right? It's yeah. performative, right? Yeah. Now, that could be it. But, but it's then not the clear. show... But then the show doesn't take the time yeah. to then have a character like Ruby who would have something to say mm. about that and say, you've missed the point here. Yeah. You know, you can go and pretend to be that as much as you like. You can be performative in that regard. Yeah. And like, yeah, there, there, is, like, there is meat there. It's not simply, you know, the, the fist against bone. It is like the fear not only instilled in the person, but then the community, the message, the sense of like, well, totally. we can do this to anyone, which is not Christina's experience of that. It's like she gets punched in the face and drowned, but she never lives with fear. Yeah, exactly right. Which yeah. is and the, con- the, yeah, the yeah. consequences of the actual the like obviously the horrific de- way that he was tortured is awful as well. Mm. But like he then he's also dead, you yes. know. And the overall effect of that, yes, on not just him but on the community and everything. Right, mm-hmm. none of that is ever at risk for her. So yes, there is meat on those bones, <laughs> but the show forgets to chew on the meat. Yeah. It forgets <laughs> to actually do the part of going. Now let's see what. Her doing that mm. means to other characters. So thematically, it's got powerful ideas, mm. but it doesn't take the time to do the work to then apply those ideas back onto the characters yeah. that we care about. In this case, Ruby is the perfect mm. person. She's mm. perfectly positioned to have the next step of that conversation with her because they've set it up. You know, you don't you don't care about Emmett Till. You don't know what that's like. You don't know our experience. Mm-hmm. She goes and tries to have that experience. She comes back and said, "I did it. It was awful." And she goes, "That's not the. There should be a conversation. How that's yeah. not the same thing." And it doesn't happen. <laughs> that's <laughs> she, the problem. I think, like, I guess the show just doesn't give itself enough time. I think that's it. To, I think it's yeah. trying to do too much in too little amount of time. Yeah, and I think that's that's true on every level. Do you think there's like perhaps episode, a bit seasonal. of fear? In this show, about you know, this Not might be, yeah, season. this might be a one season. I think that thing. happens a lot. Yeah, I think that happens a lot in TV. I think I'm noticing that more and more mm. when Netflix and this is not a Netflix show, this is an HBO show. But when shows seemingly relatively popular and, and well mm. reviewed and and critically acclaimed shows like Glow just disappear off the air yeah. all of a sudden, you know, they're offered a, a final season and then they're like, mm. no, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. It's like there is a fear that we've got to take make our shot while we can, mm. but 
But <laughs> the ultimate consequence is that they're trying to do too much. Yeah, it's the whole kill your darlings thing. Like, well, yes, yes this might be the only time you get to tell that story. At least you got to, yeah. And the thing is, it's really funny about this show. Can. It's a 10 episode season. And, I, and I'm really glad that seasons have been reduced Thank out of this God. 23 episodes oh. to 20. To, Just down for to us, sort of, really. I, I love that. Down to 20, 10. But they are also hour long episodes. Like, yeah. these are not short still. Mm. And so, if there was more, maybe that scene between Christina and Ruby existed and was on the cutting room floor and they just can't fit in because it's just it's too much here. Then cut the Christina scene. Why would you leave in the setup and remove the payoff? I imagine it was an expensive <laughs> scene. I imagine, you know. You, I that think people want to is... see this white woman murdered, which <laughs> is fair, accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's, well, let's talk about that for a second even. Let's, since we've honed in on this specific plot point. <laughs> yeah. Let's just take a step back from Christina. This this happened, this awful thing happened to a character, but none of that happened on screen? Did I miss Wait, the Wait, what? Did that happen? Do we see Emmett's death? Am I forgetting? No, they would never show that. No. Did we even get the inkling that he was going to be killed? Do we see a scene where he, he was confronted by people or anything? No, no. So it happened in Mississippi. Yes. Yeah. So... The hints were dropped that obviously Bobo was Emmett Till, so obviously yes. you know what's going to happen to him. Sure. Yeah. So it was just it, we didn't. Okay. I believe there was a moment in the Ouija board scene that alludes to something happening to him, but I can't remember what it was. I I find that really frustrating that the show. I don't need to see him die. Mm. It seems though that a little bit more time on screen to set up. Any sort of idea that something that this is going to happen, rather than just cut to the start of an episode and this character is dead, and we're talking about what happened in past tense, mm. very frustrating. And this happens mm. multiple times this season, where things are talked about having happened, and we don't get to experience any of the moment as it's happening. Again, I don't need to see the murder. Yeah, I do need to experience with a. Lo- if I'm to care about that character. I need to spend some time with that character I in think that situation. In the context of this show, it's more than a character, it's a moment, right? So if you're a black audience in America, you know that moment, you know why it's important. Oh, and so they I don't think they're interested in informing us white people as to like the importance of that or that it's character-based as though he's a character in the show necessarily. Um, I think it's more – it's sparking a theme, a conversation within the show about black experience. Sure. Yeah. Yes, totally get that. Yeah. But I think the problem of talking about something, telling, not showing – Mm. is a problem this show has a lot though as well. This is one – that's one example, Mm. right? Other examples – there are things that happen in the finale that we don't understand why or how they happened unless you're paying extremely close attention mm-hmm. to a bunch of crazy visions that Jihar 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 is. I would, it's a H, so that's Jihar. Thank you. That's how I pronounce it. Is Could be ha- wrong. is having while she's connected to that Atticus big epic Avengers style moment that's happening yeah. at the very end, right? Where we see things like Atticus introducing. The hellhound beast thing to D, right? Is a no, flash of that. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. This I, I really I, watched the finale once, so no idea. Yeah, I, go on, describe it. I to have me. to imagine there's some explanation for why Letitia 
has still has a protection spell on her at the very end, which looks different. Like these are things that just happen and then are explained through flashes during two other characters having an interaction during a bunch of magical shit. And it's like, mm. why the fuck did this choice get made? I understand the decision to keep some information from us because you want us to have some form of and, like oh, surprise. Moment, yeah. But instead, all you're doing is just not telling me the information that I mm. need effectively in any way whatsoever. That's not foreshadowing. That's not anything. It's go. It's retconning and going, here's the stuff we didn't tell you. So now you know why they're going to win this instead of lose this scenario. This is how we had to fake Jeopardy for you, basically. Yeah. That's bullshit. There are characters who are introduced and seem to get a weird amount of screen time or emphasis and then just disappear. The character of Tree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Tree, yeah. Who comes with them to, is it Boston, mm-hmm. where they go to? Mm-hmm. And, like, he's in the bar at the start yeah. when Atticus talks to him when he's looking for his dad. Um and then he's talking to him later and they have that awkward car trip and then a conversation at the museum and then he's gone. And it's like, why did this character get so much screen time and lines? The I don't even remember this character's name. I don't have any answers for you, so just keep going, keep going. The the woman, when they went in that same episode, they went into like the the Indiana Jones style like temple run underneath the mm-hmm. museum. Yep. And then they find that like Native American woman who they need some... Two-spirit person, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Who then is killed, and they're like, oh, she's gone. Okay. What? What What was that about? Why? Why introduce this character? What a waste of an idea. Why even have this person in the show whatsoever? I don't understand. <laughs> even Gia, I find, is particularly one of my... Probably my favourite character in the entire show in terms of the amount... The sp- Who's Gia? Gia, the... Who is Gia? Gia, as in the Korean woman. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of G-I-A. I, I, I was like, who's Gia? The, yeah, sorry. <laughs> her episode, I thought, was one of the best episodes oh, of the I season. I loved it. Right? Bloody because loved it. it was a complete thought. Yeah. Right? It was a complete mm-hmm. start to finish story. Stunning. And very oh, effectively wasn't it done. Stunning? And mm. completely pulled into it. It was like... Watching, I was in love the whole time. It was like watching with everything that was the happening. Notebook, some weird like twisted Twilight version. The notebook. It, I'm. It, it has that like or romanticism kind of around to it. war in particular as well, yeah, and okay. like like um the there's like a star-crossed lovers aspect to this. The Notebook does have war in it, doesn't it? It's been I, a long. I was going to say Pearl Harbor as well. Uh, not, yeah, Pearl Harbor, <laughs> Pearl which is a Harbor! terrible movie. Terrible movie. Best try- film. Yeah, yeah. But yep. it was trying to do like or Titanic or something like that. Like it's got that like epic star-crossed lovers tragic ending. These two can never be You've together. You've got to find better examples. Anyway, I don't on. know. I, Twilight was the one that I came to. Like it's literally about werewolves and vampires. Like it's got a Classic similar war. thing to it. Yep. Anyway. Point was, I thought it was like a particularly effective sort of monster love story they had mm-hmm. going on there. Yeah. And I came to the end of that and I was like, this character I find particularly compelling in terms of her story, where she's come mm-hmm. from, what's happened to her, where she's at. And then they've been doing this thing, the phone calls and stuff with Atticus, and you're mm-hmm. like, there's a mystery here. Then she shows up to get pissed off that he's got a new girlfriend and then come back at the end and do her magic thing to solve the problem. That's it. I'm like, this is not, that's not a character anymore. Well, also, it's I mean, such a I waste of an idea and a, and a character and a really, really good character, I thought. I First of all, I don't think that she 
came to America and was pissed off he had a girlfriend. That is what happens in that scene. Absolutely not. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Other way around. Sorry, Letitia is pissed off that he had a girlfriend once more time. Yes, thank you. Other way around. She was fine. She was And Atticus was was fucking rude, may I say. No, you're right. You're right. They were mean to her. You're you're Um, not wrong. You're not wrong. But 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 that's ultimately what she gets used. She comes back into the plot to show up for one scene so Letitia can get pissed off. Then she disappears until Atticus needs her again and finds her in a bar. Absolutely, like Deus' ex-girlfriend. Deus' (laughs) ex-girlfriend. That's exactly (laughs) what it is. Deus ex girlfriend, and it <laughs> for something that's for such a strong episode that mm. does so much work to make me com- this compelling character that I'm invested in, and then to Deus ex girlfriend her at the end, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you, show? I mm. do not understand how it can get so many things execution really right, yeah, and then completely stuff it up when it matters. The it's most. just too much. Is the answer to all of that? It's just. Too Rant much. Just, just, <laughs> thank God, I'm exhausted. Are we all exhausted at home? Uh, yes. No, I don't have answers for you. I think it simply comes down to the fact that if you want what you wanted, <laughs> which was consistent storytelling and commitment to plot um, in a clear way for audiences to interpret, you're not going to get it. You're just not going to get it in this show unless you rewatch it a bunch of times, read a bunch of shit, um, or your attention to detail is insane. And I think yours is pretty think, good. I don't think your attention to detail is going to help you. <laughs> it's like, because again, it just throws ideas. One more idea that I just remembered. When uh, Atticus, oh another thing that happened off screen, right? That's really annoying. Mm-hmm. In Hippolyta's excellent episode. Love it. Right? Yeah. We cut back after the end of her odyssey that she's been mm. on to Atticus coming out of the portal and he's like, where are you, Hippolyta? And then we see he's got the book Lovecraft mm. Country, right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes back in the next episode, the episode after he's talking with Montrose and he's like, Montrose, I think that's his yeah. character's name. And he's like, I got this book, right? I went to the future. I saw all these white people rioting and this figure out of nowhere with a robot arm gave me this book. And it's written by my future son and it tells this is the story and what's going to happen to us. And I'm like, you know what would have been great? To see the scene you just <laughs> described. Why did we not see this scene? It would have been great. Why are yeah. you talking to us about one of the coolest ideas possible? Mm-hmm. But then the book really doesn't serve any purpose. It doesn't serve any real purpose except to make him convinced that he's doomed. Mm. But like that is such a powerful idea. You've taken something that is true from our reality and made it like cross over with the book's reality and your fictionalized world, like alternate world things mm. for why? What? Why? Why introduce this concept if you're not going to do there, anything yeah. with there it? There is too much telling and not enough showing. Absolutely. <sighs> and I can't absorb that much dialogue. Dialogue. It's just not going to happen for me. But how fun was Hippolyta's episode, That was though? an extremely fun? fun episode. Like that Afro-futuristic like, alien lady with a huge Afro comes in and I was like, fuck Yes. Yeah. yeah, didn't you have some fun? Did I did. No, no, fun? no. I actually had a really, really good time with a bunch of episodes. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk, yeah. maybe we should talk about like some of the stuff we really liked, and I'll let you take over for a while because I've been ranting a lot. <laughs> um, well, that one a faux show, like when beautiful Hippolyta. Well, okay. So what I love is Hippolyta is a goddamn genius, mm-hmm. like that. The kind of the figuring out the problem solving of just like oh, 
maths and science and shit. I'm not smart enough to speak about it more intelligently than that. Um, but I thought that was cool. Then her travels to which I went, what the fuck's going on? And then, oh, I mean, a multiverse time travel story. I mean, that's – and I don't have to, like, follow where we are in, in time. That's my kind of jam. <laughs> Just like, being one place or another. Yeah. This is the appeal of Doctor Who, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're somewhere cool right now. Yeah. Don't think about too hard about why we're here. Except for when um, – Fuck, what's the, your favourite head Doctor Who writer's Stephen name? Stephen Moffat. He got oh, way too far up his own ass, and I couldn't follow a fucking thing at, at, towards the end there. It was, oh, the river song of it all complicated just, things. Oh, ouch, my brain. Um, yeah, no, if I can just enjoy the experience of like a Bill and Ted, if you will. Sure. Just kind of, sure, bloop, here we are. Oh, sure. isn't this fun? That's great. Yep. Um, so that's what I got in that episode, which was so much fun. Mm-hmm. I love like. The visuals of that episode, particularly the one where they're kind of in that very kind of pulpy HP Lovecraft planet as like explorers or whatever, yeah, in like a spaceship Those version really of their like, car, and it was and the ima- the awesome like bubble bubble like, head, head suit yeah. thing they had going on. Yeah, it was, it was just, cool, mwah, gorgeous. Absolutely love that episode. Uh, I've seen some critiques of it, and I think it's more to do with the plot as to how they got there, which is valid. But the National Treasure episode, mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun with because so often Angela and I at home would be like, oh, I just want like a new adventure movie. Yeah. Like, where are those awesome adventure films? Uncharted's um, coming out next year. That could be, that could fulfill that. As if that doesn't look fun to me. They're going to take it really seriously. No, 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 no. Uncharted's a fun series. Nathan Drake is a, he's a quip star. It's going to be Indiana Jones style, that one. If that's what you're looking for. I hope so. I think that'll be. Okay. Fingers crossed. Because the last really good one. Oh, I quite enjoyed, obviously, the first new Jumanji with The Rock. Yeah. That right. was fun. Yeah, yeah. And then before that, it was Brendan Fraser's Journey to the oh. Center of the Earth. That's really good. Because oh, so that was post-Mummy. Well, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. the Mummy, like the Mummy for me, I like... That I, is you think Indiana time. Jones, National Treasure, I've not really watched. The Mummy. Oh, man. Yep. The Mummy is still an all-timer. Yep, absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> so, I love that. I love that shit. And so, to watch that on my TV, I was like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I didn't understand the clues, nor did the show particularly explain it <laughs> well to me. What else? What? There's so many episodes. I kept waiting for them their rash decision to walk down one of those tunnels to come back and bite them in the ass because it, it felt ill considered. You know, oh, they just went with one, didn't they? They just kind of went with one, and it was the right one. Yeah. And I kept thinking like they're making decisions. Atticus is saying, "Wait, we should think about this more." And I was like, "Oh, okay, so they're going to go down this one. It's going to not be the right one. It's going to be a problem for them." Yeah. And then it wasn't. It was like, well, I thought, well, why not just have them figure it out properly? Because the show kind of signifies this, but I, I felt like it came after the decision. So obviously like, we're going down this way and then Atticus starts walking down behind them and picks up the torch, the lantern that's been left. Yes. It's like when you point them like, oh well clearly that's a sign that someone's gone down here. Sure, sure, sure. But Just that that it. but that didn't that wasn't part of the decision process as far as I can tell. No. No. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. They were going in what order they think he did things. It's like this is the last we think we was down here last. Anyway. I don't know. Nothing got explained in this show properly. It just happened. Like, the ma- yeah, the magic of it. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Uh, uh, meet me in Daig- Daigu. I'm probably saying that wrong. So sorry. good. So, I loved it. I'll happily watch it a million times over. Also, do we think that um, Gia's friend, there was yes. like vibes there, right? Like, oh, I really like your socks and like, let's hang out and... 
Let's stroll together and let me look deeply in your eyes as I talk about us being different. Maybe. There was enough to I'm say. I'm going to say there absolutely was and I dug I'm, it. I'm going to say you're the expert <laughs> on this, so let's go with that. Sure. And fi- trying to find any subtext I possibly can. Did, absolutely. Did that? How does that episode in terms of the character of Atticus, how does that gel for you in terms Ooh, of good like question. this guy, he shows up, he seems just this cool, like super buff and ripped and particularly handsome looking like <sighs> nerd guy, right? I His have never seen every episode. a more perfect body <laughs> in my entire life. Had the glasses, really going for something that's going to awaken some things. As a people. gay woman, I was very horny throughout this show. And mostly because of Atticus. It was very confusing. <laughs> anyway, but sometimes you just got to appreciate perfection. It's like, mm-mm-mm, that is yummy. Um, anyway, what we say? But, like, he shows up at the start of this show and, like, you know, he's come back from the war. He's obviously a little bit scarred with that. He's got a troubled relationship with his dad in particular. He's trying mm. to find his dad, finds all these family secrets, blah, blah, blah. On you go. Then you flash back to Korea and you go, oh, this guy did some unspeakable things. Yes. Like murdered civilians in cold blood. Mm. And Which, as we're finding out in Australia, not that uncommon. Not that uncommon, apparently. Yeah. Bunch yeah, of great. war criminals over here. Yeah. Oh, I saw it. Sorry, that's really sobering. Yeah. That's right. I saw a hashtag earlier this morning, like, solidarity with Australia, like, against China. And I just, like, I can't get behind our Prime Minister being more insulted by a fake image than the war, than crimes, war crimes that our own soldiers committed. Anyway, fuck that. That's all I have to say about that subject. 100% agree. Um... Yes. Anyway, that but that piece of information, seeing him in that light and then somehow managing to try and still humanise him and make him mm-hmm. a relatable or forgivable sort of person because he's done... We've watched him kill two people in cold yeah. blood. Um, is a very, very interesting thing for the show to try and pull off, I think. Mm. And I think is relatively successful somehow. I mean, it works well in parallel with the character that they really get us to connect with in Gia, Absolutely, right? Yeah. So, like, it is about ultimately that conversation that they do have about it's They've the done choice. monstrous things, yeah. but they are not monsters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I, I thought it was smart to kind of... Whether that plays into Atticus outside of this story... I'm not sure. Well, that's sure. the other problem. Oh, okay. How well does it connect back to <laughs> yeah. the rest of the but story? But within that episode itself, I thought it's really beautiful kind mm. of they've both done terrible, terrible things. Mm-hmm. Is that indicative or reflective of the actual experience of Korean women during the Korean War? And no. Mm. Um, but in terms of this story specifically, I thought it was very well done and very compelling. I, yeah, I just thought everything about this episode was so executed. Mm. Um, any other standout bits? I personally really liked... So, first episode I thought was great, and I've had this conversation with Paul Mitzi, friend of the show as well, and he mm. stopped after episode two because I thought episode two was a ridiculously massive drop in quality. That's where they go to the house of white people. Oh, yes. And it was <laughs> like, people, went yeah. from an excellent mm-hmm. road trip through racist America. I didn't know about Sundown There was so counties. much going on in that episode. There yeah, in episode, episode two. two. Yep. I didn't know about Sundown Counties or whatever it's called. Me either. Um, that car chase Sundown was stuff like that. That was terrifying. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Far out edge of your seat stuff. That interaction yeah. with the cop when he finds them when they're like getting ready to leave or whatever, mm-hmm. and then when they cross the bridge or the railway tracks and they're there and tension, like tension, all of that, and that was mm. so well done. Yes, agree. And then episode two, they get to this mystery like mansion of white people as i said mm-hmm. and it's like 
it's doing some things, but none of it's sticking anymore, and it's all very messy and convoluted. I don't care about what's happening, and it was such a such a and like having them not remember the events of the episode before. Mm. Um, a couple of the characters was like, "Why are we doing this? this? Is complicating things." It was a massive drop in quality, and then we got back to Chicago, mm-hmm. and like things are happening very quickly, and Letitia buys this house, yep. and one of the most effective ghost horror stories I've seen in ages. The mm. stuff at the end of the episode when they're in the basement and like all the, the people showing up and just how effective I... they were at showing how like weathered and distraught she was, like trying to that cast this spell. Can it was I just so say good. though? One of the best exorcism things I've seen in ages. One of my least favourite things in horrors mm. uh, is People having different body parts stitched to different did, areas. Did you enjoy the baby The tiny head? baby head? No, I didn't, bro. And you know why? Because I think I might have been 13 or 14. I watched The Last King of Scotland. I will never fucking watch that movie again. It is so horrific. It is one of the most traumatizing things I've ever seen in which he's, I think like he suspects his wife of cheating on him, this dictator in fucking, I can't remember where it was. I, I blocked the whole thing out. Not All, Scotland. It's definitely not Scotland. And I just, all I remember is his poor wife, I think it was played by Kerry Washington, anyway, wakes up with her legs stitched where her arms are and her arms where her legs were. Then she obviously, like, almost immediately dies as soon as she sees it. It's fucking horrific and I hate it and it's very upsetting. Oh. And ever since then, it's been awful. They did the same thing in American Horror Story and I fucking hate it and I refuse to watch any more of that shit show. Mm. And this was less horrific because like a bit of like self-empowerment story attached to that which is nice but still not something i like to see no and i just want to put that out there that there's a bit in that episode as well where they've been setting up all episode where the elevator is going to decapitate someone right and they finally get it on Mm -hmm. like the the white bully guys who have been terrorizing the house coming into the house Mm. and they get taken out by the elevator and like super graphic like the camera holds on a close-up of this wound where the head used to be yeah, but it's like po- like you can see like the muscles and mm. stuff. I was like, that is tr- proper disgusting. Was it a nice insight as a chiropractor though, just to kind of see that? I've seen cadavers before. I know what they look like. It's right. like nothing, nothing <laughs> there. Let's see, you got to learn anatomy. I was like, oh yeah, right. These are the jugular vein. There's like oh, that's that's like probably C seven or T one, right? That makes sense. So when you saw that, then you're like, been there, done that, just like back at uni, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. A little less grey and withered, a mm. um, <laughs> bit more fresh than the cadavers you get to work on. Boy, this is telling you an interesting episode. Um, and yeah, I just thought that was a really effective episode. I also, in terms of like the graphic horror, I can't, every time we watched Ruby Transform mm. was amazing. I couldn't get over how I great that like was. I quite like that, to be fair. No, I, no, it is like fantastic. Yeah. It is so well done mm. every single time. But I stand by the point that the graphic violence stopped being effective the more that characters stopped being affected by it. Yes, so one of the reasons that, the case, that yeah. episode three was so good is because when the horrific stuff with mm. this severed limbs reattached, mixed up body thing was happening with the ghost, Letitia is having this moment trying to exercise this evil spirit or whatever. Mm. In it, you can see the strain on her as she deals with this horror, right? Mm. Like in, she's being affected by this moment. And then the more that Ruby transformed, the more she was, the less and less she was affected by it. It became sexy think, and sexual in one point. Do you think point. that's part of it though? Like the more violence is perpetrated against you, the more you kind of 
kind of deal you just kind of absorb it without much reaction sure. and then you in could, turn you become more violent you could make that argument i don't think the show the show didn't does, tell you that. doesn't do yeah. anything with okay. that idea if that's true mm. it just was a thing where they kept trying to do blood and gore and the characters just more and more shrugged it off and so it just became more cartoony as it went along mm. like there was a spectacular sequence i think it's the end of episode eight or nine where all the cops show up around the house and they're going to attack them. And then those hound dogs show up because they're protecting Atticus because of the spell. Mm. And super effective action scene, really gory and violent. It's a one-shot camera, like, moving throughout the action. And, like, I just don't think they could care less. They, they, okay. they, they just they move on so quickly from this stuff. They're not affected by how horrific this thing is mm-hmm. um, that it then becomes cartoony and boring by nature of the characters not reacting to it anymore. If they're not in jeopardy, if they don't feel like they're in jeopardy, then why should I feel mm-hmm. for them in that moment, I guess? And that's what the show started to become as it went along. So that was disappointing. But boy, they, those those moments were so effective. With that, oh, yeah, the minstrels were fucking creepy. Topsy and Bopsy, yeah. Topsy and Bopsy. Very, very, very scary. How do you feel about returning to Tulsa? This is the second time we've been to the Tulsa Massacre in I mean, a year with television shows. So yeah. good in Watchmen. Yes. So good in Watchmen. Oh, my God. I need to rewatch that mm. episode, actually. Fucking hell. It's getting its so moment, good. that piece of history. Something yes. that a lot of people, particularly we as Australians, never knew about, but apparently Americans. Apparently, yeah. Americans really had no idea about it, which is shocking to me. And so it's getting its moment. But who knows how many goddamn like Aboriginal like massacres we just have no idea about. That's a good point. Um, how are there, certain, are there any particular characters you want to talk about? Letitia, Ruby... Atticus, Montrose, anyone, Hippolyta, anyone that really stood out in terms of their stories? Ruby certainly stood out to me. Mm. I thought she, I thought the relationship with her and Letty was really interesting. Agreed. Particularly considering they have experience, have very different experiences, particularly as women, as women of color, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So I love that kind of antagonistic, um, competitive relationship they had. Mm -hmm. And then we see that reflected in Ruby's desire to work at that department store. Mm -hmm. And then obviously she doesn't get it. And therefore, because she, I guess she lives by this idea, this falsehood that if you work hard enough, if you pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you will then be given the opportunities that you feel you deserve. Um, And, you know, all those other you know, black people that haven't done the things that you see for yourself. It's because they didn't work hard enough. Yep. Um, and then obviously she discovers what a falsehood that is when, you know, that other lady gets the job and she doesn't have, you know, Ruby's resume. Um, and it's just circumstantial that, you know, the department store manager is a fucking creepo rapist. Mm. Um, so I kind of, Seeing her in those moments was really interesting. Seeing her kind of poking at that woman who works at the department store, um, having anger at lost opportunity and blame clearly on the wrong person. Mm -hmm. All that stuff I really liked. Did I love the violent sodomizing of the manager? Not so much. Mm. I don't love revenge rape. Yes. Generally speaking, um, I it's a lot, uh, particularly since it isn't really 
seem to have any effect on Ruby that she has perpetuated something so violent. And it's a, again, um, violence is just sort of like water for ducks back on these people over yeah. time. Yeah. And I love the anger in that scene. Mm-hmm. I love that feeling of revenge and righteousness. I love all of that. It's simply, it's a very violent rape is mm-hmm. what happens. Um, or sexual assault, I should say. Um yeah, which is full on. But generally, I, I love Ruby. I loved her a lot. I What you were talking about when you sort of started that bit there about um, Ruby and Letitia and sort of their sisterly dynamic was really interesting. I just wanted to really put out there, Journey Smollett and Wunmi Masaku, I think there were a couple of scenes where they're talking. And I'm just like, I the, you are giving this dialogue way more than is on the page. Like, they were just knocking out of the park and making me really care and, like, just feeling that uh, mm. the complicated nature of their relationship. But obviously, they care about each other, but there is a lot has happened in the past, multiple, multiple instances where they where at least one of them has let the other down, if not both ways. Mm. And you just... You felt all of that. You... I was just... But the performances throughout the entire cast, but particularly, I thought, from um, Wunmi Misaku was brilliant. Just yes. like all, all the way through, it. start to finish, yep. brought it in every scene. And it really, really helped. When things were losing me plot-wise, the actors were keeping me in. And I was going to say the same thing um, about uh, Michael K. Williams, who we know, obviously, from The Wire. Mm-hmm. Montrose. Playing yeah. Montrose. And Montrose is an interesting character as well because he's got... Again, he's one of those characters that seem to have a lot of stuff going on. They bring it up for a second and then move away from it. Yeah. And then, like, I, in the moment when they give it its due, mm. I was caring and I was affected by it to some degree. I mean, he's, he's just an incredible felt, actor. Like, he is. He, he sells everything, yeah. And then other times I felt like they're not... While, the again, the performers are bringing it every time and that works, the show overall keeps, like... It, it, it keeps forgetting to do it long term. It keeps forgetting to sew into the fabric of the show overall, and that was frustrating. Yeah. So you'd have like the revelation that he is a gay man, and that what that lifestyle for him is like now, and what keeping that hidden um, his entire life, his friendship with um, Atticus's mum, whether he's actually Atticus's dad or not, what happened back in Tulsa, etc. All those moments mm-hmm. are meaningful. Yep. Yes. <laughs> And emotionally, I felt them particularly when the performance was there, but didn't always feel like it did anything beyond that. It didn't seem to fold back into the overall plot enough. Mm. Like it was like the genre shifts per episode. It's like, we'll bring it up. That's something worth talking about. It's now gone. Yeah. It's not, it's not, not not only relevant um, to what, to the rest of the story or the season as a whole. And that was frustrating to me. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. I think the complex, around like black gayness it's like much more complicated within that community particularly when you're talking about masculinity and masculine ideals and toxic masculinity and all that stuff mm-hmm. um, and I guess it's somewhat displayed in Montrose's um, well, how he has been as a father mm-hmm. in seeing that being gay as weakness, um, overcompensating for that fact by thinking that he has to be incredibly tough on his son, as well as like his... Sins of the father there as well. Learned that one from his dad. Yeah. No doubt. Absolutely. And also thinking 
taking the violence that has been put upon him and then that's reflected in when he kills the two-spirit person, mm-hmm. um, obviously being violent with his own son, all that stuff. I don't know what it equates to though is the thing. I think like it, it adds a complicated to a tragic interesting character, but it doesn't know what to do beyond that with it. Yes. Yeah, I would like to get to know well okay, this kind of comes back to your I think you said in your spoiler-free review is that it's very serious yes. and there's no joy. And so it's really hard to really get to know people if they are just trauma or if they are just a person who experiences certain things in the plot. Um, And I think Montrose is a character and I feel like I do have a sense of him and I think that's through the performance and in a couple of really great scenes. But he doesn't seem like a real person, I guess, other than like a conduit for trauma, which is, I think, a shame. Well, but the, the room does. The show doesn't have room for joy, I guess. The there is an opportunity. That that's what's can be frustrating too. Is I feel like there's opportunities for that stuff that they just always seem to leave on the table. We have the scene where we find him. He goes and meets that other man, and mm-hmm. they spend. You know, then there's a complicated sexual relationship happening there. Obviously, oh, that's sexy. It's very upsetting. Sure, yes. and that happens, and then he ends up going to what is almost like a the ball. drag show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It goes to the drag show, and then seems to be great. feeling a part of that world for the first time. He's able to embrace his sexuality mm. and identity for the first time in a while. Then he brings this man back to his house, mm. and then kicks him out, and that's it. Yeah. We never see that person again. There is never a fallout from that interaction or how that ended. Mm. And it's like a missed opportunity again to have a conversation about any sort of growth or understanding or talk to this man about the experience of being with Montrose and what mm. he sees in Montrose. And like mm. all these, we just don't get that stuff. Yeah. We see the two, the two worlds. I mean, Montrose is just like a stilted, stunted person, obviously from his experiences, that makes a whole world of sense. But, yeah, getting a sense of how he does fit in that world because clearly they all know, you know, the drag queens and stuff, they all know Montrose. Like, yeah. they've clearly spent time with him. Beyond him just kind of being lifted up in the drag ball, I'd love to see – I mean, it's too much. We already said it's too much. Yeah. So how can we ask for – <laughs> to put in more, I don't know. I just, I th- I'm really glad you brought up the whole thing about the lack of joy in this show because I really feel like well, you brought it up originally. Well, sorry, I was just you reiterating. Re- re- you reiterate because I forgot I even I said that, but it really, really does stand out to me that like I understand it's meant to be horror a lot of the times, but there's also a lot of just like pulpy ideas in here. There are silly ideas in amongst it, and that's part of that pulpy nature, right? It's meant to be over the top and a little bit um, clunk or a little bit. Yeah, pulpy is the word for it. And then it doesn't seem to embrace that in its characters or its writing in any way along the line. It's always, always, always deathly serious, except when our characters don't seem affected by horrific violence and these sorts of things. It's like just tonally it's forgetting to do some things there that are important to make us care or to keep us invested. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a frustrating show because of that because you can see... All of the good stuff, mm. we just can't make it work together. Mm. Give me that, yeah. Humanity doesn't always mean heartbreak, you mm. know? Yeah. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note.
I do have a few side notes. Mm-hmm. I did think the show was getting a little bit predictable at times as well, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but like very early on, I was like, oh, George is going to die. I thought he was going to die in episode one. Mm. And then yeah. when he had that phone call back to Hippolyta, I was like, we're going on a road trip together. I'm like, you're a dead oh, man. Yeah. You're a dead man. <laughs> yeah. um, also, how early did you figure out that the man in Tulsa that saved George and his friends and siblings was someone, either Letitia or Atticus. I, I thought it might have been Letitia because at one point she was swinging a bat. Yeah. There's was a like, lot of bat swinging. There's a yeah, lot yeah. of bat swinging in this. Um, I was like, it has to be one of them. Classic me, no idea. Okay. Yep. Uh, did I miss something? What's with the Letty protection spell thing that brings her back at the end? Do we understand what happened there? From what I understood, Christina took it off her. That was her punishment for not agreeing to the deal or whatever. I can't remember the reason was. She took it off. Letitia, though. Mm-hmm. And then she gets thrown out the window. We think she's dead. And then there's a different, way more detailed mark on her that apparently she lives. No idea. No idea. Can someone please explain to me what happened there? Because I'd like <laughs> to know. Why, as much as you enjoyed this scene, why did we have D kill Christina with the robot arm at the end? Because it's fucking cool. And then obviously tells us that she was the one that gave him the book. We knew that. Yeah. Right. We, I understand that, that that must have been her in the future yeah. that gave Atticus the book. Again, a scene we didn't see. So frustrating that it was just referencing a conversation that was had rather mm. than a scene we saw. Uh, do you think they're setting her up to be the new villain? I wanted to be the hero, though. I want to be a superhero it with a cool arm. It seem superhero heroic, what was happening there. Did to me. <laughs> okay, okay. At least aspirational. And if that isn't heroic, I don't know what is. Why did they have to go back to Tulsa on the day of the riots? Or the, or the massacre, I, I should say. What is it? The whole grandfather thing with time travel is like that thing happened, which meant that um, Montrose lived and shit, which means Atticus could be born to then go back and save Grandfather them, right? paradox. Yeah. Bootstrap paradox. Yeah, that one. Um, yes. Sure. But that's but that's that, the only way I could explain it. contrivance. That's not a... It is deathly important for the sake that our characters made a decision to go back on that day. That was... Yeah. The, that was the effect of them going back on that day. Mm-hmm. There was no reason that that was the day. Of all days, they had to go back in time. Because Hippolyta said book. it's a good idea and she knows everything. Shut up, bro. <laughs> um, what did you think? Do you remember that the life could be a dream comes up a couple of times mm. in the show, in the very, very start of the show? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it's just after Atticus has had his weird, like, Lovecraftian slash War of the Worldsian nightmare dream sequence at the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show and then in the the in Woody as they're driving towards sorry just interrupt your cat isn't going toilet in the puzzle no, pieces no, right? he's just going to sleep okay <laughs> he just loves being he loves sitting on puzzle pieces yep. yeah okay cool uh, I know if he looks that way but no he just likes to sleep in there it's very cute okay um, they're driving in Woody and everybody, including GR and stuff, and they're seeing life mm-hmm. could be a dream. And it's like, hey, we're a family. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was effective? Do you think they earned that moment? I mean, they must have because I was like, I really like all these characters and this is like a nice reprieve from all the horrific things that have happened. Sure. I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't there more of this in the show? I Good was point. like... That's the sort of thing we need a little bit more of. Mm. You want to sell this idea of, of like just a little bit of fun, a little bit of heart warm, a little bit of remind me that these people are a family and that they need to, you know, they're stronger together, mm-hmm. that they've come a long way together and they just have that moment, which is relatively effective, but it's way too late. Fair enough. Uh, a couple of things that made my eyes roll as well. When Atticus is on that machine, mm. right, he's just holding on 
to like things. He's not actually... His arms aren't tied down. Maybe it's by magic, though. He could be letting go... Is there any indication that that's the case? Why not just have his arms tied up with ropes so they can see that? Oh, Brod, shut up with that nitpicking bullshit. Also, as much as we talked about this being um, uh, Jordan Peele executive show, I did notice finally in the final credits that J.J. Abrams is an executive producer for mm. and it's got his stink all over this thing. <laughs> least favourite and favourite episode. What was your least favourite episode? Least favourite for my... For me, is the last episode because um, I think it was at that point that really solidified for me that I did want it just to be, uh, you know, a big bad every kind of episode, Scooby Doo, yep. Goosebumps, that type of thing. I didn't need this big, overarching yeah narrative. Yeah, agreed. Least favorite episode was episode ten, full circle. It was a mess. It was trying to pull together all the stuff the show had not done the work to get there with. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the worst habits of the show took over. It was a particularly bad episode. It was like a bad season finale of a Charmed or a <laughs> Buffy or something like that. Mm-hmm. It really was. Favorite episode? Uh, episode six. Meet me and Daiki. Me too. <laughs> You know, it is entirely detached from the series, but like I said, the character of Gia is so compelling. Yep. Her struggle is so horrific and her tragedy so unavoidable, which always feels really good and juicy. It was amazing to watch. I was invested very quickly. Yep. And um, I thought the performances in that episode were incredible. Um, I was fascinated by the myth and I was excited throughout just watching it. And I thought it was beautiful. Like, I wanted to watch that movie. Yeah. So... Just to really get down to base level here for a second, because I agree that was my favourite episode as well. I think mm. execution from start to finish as a complete and solid idea was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Didn't weigh itself down too much with all the other ongoing story stuff, and so it was able to just shine in that regard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to really bring back to basics, do you ship Atticus and Gia? Yes, that a yes? You're um, nodding very, very slightly that you went silent. I thought there was another question. At the well, end the next question was, do you ship Atticus and Le- uh, Letty? I mean, I'm all for like polyamory. So if they want to get like a situation, happening, <laughs> that's fine. I, I ship, that's your solution. I, yeah, I ship him with both of them. I have no problems with him being with that's either true. of them. But uh, I mean, he got Letty pregnant, so she should probably follow through with that relationship. Yeah. But I mean, he's dead now, mon- so RIP. Mon day family is a complicated thing. So I don't that's need true. to be one particular I one. mean, that's, that's true. But oh, can I just say something? No. How fucking <laughs> patriarchy. Um, Letty has sex for the first time. Yes. And gets pregnant. That's so unfair. <laughs> that I thought was a fa- was a really interesting character moment though, to find that out. Because mm. as far as a character like Letty, right, in terms of she's very confident and like seems to be in touch with her body and her sexuality and stuff mm, like mm, that. Mm, mm-hmm. And in, in very you know, as Whew. I appreciate that. I was enjoying a, myself. Letty gorgeous. is gorgeous. Oh a god. Gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. we can all agree on that. This, this, would, this would be an easy choice on uh, Hot or Not if this was on uh, the Slash Filmcast. Not the Slash Filmcast, the uh, Swapcast podcast. Yeah. The uh, Finding out that that was her first time having mm. sex was a really interesting thing because it was complete. Um, I would not have expected it. All the signs ma- and nothing explicit, but it made me feel like that she was a sexually mm. active human being or woman and then both. And <laughs> they can be both. They can be both. Oh my god! And I thought that was a really interesting turn for the character to find that out. I don't think they need to do more with it. It was just interesting to know. Oh, yeah. that's a compli- That's a more interesting, complicated layer to you, mm-hmm. and understanding who you are, and like, uh, I don't know. I really, and really kind really of liked this that. image that people have put on her yes. that wasn't accurate. Totally. And it didn't matter if it was or wasn't, but it just simply wasn't, and no one had taken the time to actually. 
get to know her on that level. Sure. Yeah. She also said some things that that made it pretty sound like she explicitly slept with other people. What did she um, say? Well, there was the stories getting around and then she was saying, like she was doing it in jest that apparently we'd slept together previously with Tree, I think it was, or someone like oh, that. Oh, yeah, because Tree had told was a lie. Atticus, yeah, and then she was like, because he was talking about his big dick, she's like, well, I would know that if we had slept together. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like little things like Which that. Which is clearly saying that they hadn't slept together. True, but also... I don't know. The idea is that... Does she have can- to go, we didn't sleep together because I'm a virgin? No, that's it though. But yeah. that is like, your brain is like, still you got the impression that she yeah. was probably active enough that someone could tell that story and people would believe it, right? That he could say that. I just think that her reputation was... Wrong. Well, it was wrong. It was bullshit. But, that, yeah. but there was a reputation there. And I think mm. that's really interesting that I as an audience member sort of had this idea. It yeah. wasn't a big part of a character or anything yeah. like that. But then the fact that that wasn't the case was just a really interesting little mm. character wrinkle that I really appreciate. Remember when like people in high school were called sluts and they'd slept with like one person? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Predictions, hopes or concerns for future seasons of Lovecraft Country. As far as I'm aware, this has not been renewed for a season two yet, but mm. I'm not sure about I, that. I feel like it will be, right? It's I, got it's a lot of press. No, It got a lot of press early. I'm not mm. sure how well... Like the first episode or two, there was a lot of talk mm. about it. Jordan Peele's attachment to it, Misha Green, etc. Yep. There was a lot to talk about. I'm not sure. I feel like a lot of people fell off the show as it went along. Mm. It sort of like yep. lost its audience a little bit. But that's just my impressions from like being online. Yeah. I can't say for sure. I feel like it probably will get a season two knowing HBO, mm. but I wouldn't say for sure. Uh, yeah. Do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns for a second season? Um, My hopes are... They focus more on well, his thing. So either they commit more to a episode by episode kind of monster of the week type thing, mm-hmm. um, or if not, I hope that they can focus on if it's going to be like an overarching thing, focus more on the interpersonal relationships, so that that story would be more compelling. Sure. Yeah. Uh, as we said, the person that gave with the robot arm that gave Atticus the book. Will be D. Mm-hmm. I don't don't think that's even a question. No. That's what the show is just telling us. Though I'm really fascinated. Unless by it's the, like a, a nega D or something. Like who's like, which could be cool. <laughs> if, the, <laughs> two, if any show is going to do it, robot armed girls just fighting to the uh, death. The every white person in the world being disconnected from magic. Magic is ours now, right? This mm-hmm. idea of that I find fascinating. I'm fascinated. I'm also wondering, though, mm-hmm. how exactly does that work? Like, how is it calculated? Like, what percentage? <laughs> is it based on, like, the pigment level in your skin? Is it based on, like, if you're mixed race, what happens then? I'm just... The idea of that is compelling an idea. I'm then trying to apply it to a real world scenario. I think if scenario. you're... How do you do the math here? How much, how white do you have to be to be excluded from magic versus how black? Well, we'd be excluded. You and I would be. Definitely. No doubt. Look at us. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Look through us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Look, great questions. I just found Um, that. I just was like, great idea. But if I think about for a second, what does that mean really? Like, how is that just? How is that perpetuated? Calculated in the? In I guess the real it's just got to be like if you're 
so racist and come from such a racist heritage that no racist. one in your family has had sex with a person of color. But then you've got to factor in like rape and stuff, well, like of white men raping women of color, which happens all in this the time. show. Well, this show, this is Atticus's heritage, yeah. his great 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 grandmother or whatever it was. I'm assuming if you're a hundred percent white, you're out. A hundred percent white. How many people do you think are a hundred percent white in the world? I don't know. I really want to do what's that? Twenty twenty three and seventeen and you and I together holding me. hands. Yeah, that one. I really want to do that. Um, I don't know, Brad. I'm not a scientist. I just, I was like, I love that idea. I love like that they're introducing this idea that's like the magic is ours now. I'm like, mm-hmm. great. How? <laughs> What's going to happen next season? You, you want when someone, You want an episode someone, about the logistics well, of that? Well, kind of. If someone Brilliant. is one thirty-two black because their great 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 grandmother or something like that happened to be, you know, whatever the reason is, it's like, do they get magic still? Even no, though they're a racist piece of shit. Like, I think that's just the thing, though, is that you can't be one thirty-tooth of anything. Either you like that is a part of you. Or it's not. So if it is a part of you, sure, then sure, sure, sure. So it's got more to do with your how you identify, like identify with your heritage, or the parts of your heritage that you try to like ignore or whatever it might okay, be. Okay, that's not what I was saying. But now you're saying that it's more of a conscious choice. That's okay. what I'm trying to figure out. Like, mm. huh? I guess that would make more sense. <laughs> that would, to me, would make the most sense. Obviously, but does that you mean be, you can't just be a purely white person say I identify as a black person and you get magic? So Rachel Dolezal or whatever the fuck her name no, is. No, that, that wasn't what you'd yeah. have to actually have some sort of genetic like inclusion, but you'd have to also be acknowledging acknowledging in touch with that part of your heritage. But what if through colonialism you? Do have like yeah, somewhere down the line, but you don't know. That's what I mean. This is what See, I'm saying. See, this is the whole paradox about Christianity that I could never understand as a kid. When my parents like, you know, as soon as you accept Jesus into your heart, then you're saved. But then, like, they can't really explain away all the people that died before Jesus or those that had never heard of him. I was like, if the you, whole, if what you, a horrific concept! If you die at the age of ten, having never heard the name Jesus Christ, you're, you're condemned fucked. to hell. Yeah, yeah. I never understood it. No, that's it's because but, it's but then like bullshit. I feel like my parents would wave it away, being like, "Well, yes," would be like, "Oh, but if you know you die and you haven't heard of him, then you go to heaven and he gives you a chance to repent." And I'm like, "Well, can't I then just like live whatever life I fucking want and then get to heaven and be like, so yeah? Why is that fair? Yeah, it's not fair. It's bullshit. Well, it's because because it, it is bullshit. That's to why. I, that's why I stopped. Because <laughs> <laughs> the answer is. The, pe- cause the answer is white people all hear about Jesus Christ and get an opportunity and the others that don't, don't matter. That's why. It's racism. Oh, full circle. Also, one last thought, just going into the next season. Time travel fucks everything. That's the bit I'm most worried about. Is like I want now- that tattooed on my body because I agree. Now that we've introduced time travel and like other worlds, multi-dimensional mm. aspects into this show... Things are going to get complicated and messy real quick. And it's already. Would you say a- that about Doctor Who, though? It doesn't think- have to. No, but Doctor Who is more of a Scooby Doo type show than it mm. is a Lovecraft Country type then show, right? That's what I'm, I'm hoping that that's what we become. If that's what they, if that's what it does, and it just leans into like mm. the separate stories that aren't don't have to be connected by an overarching plot all the time, then it's not going to matter. But if you're going to then introduce that time travel or many worlds theory is going to be why Atticus comes back to life, so we can have that character in the next season, blah blah blah, it's just going to become a fucking mess like Lost very quickly, and it's going to. You know, be too dense to really mm. be in, invest in the plot. Whatsoever. I hope this show becomes like Doctor Who. 
It's not oh. going to. No, I have hope. I'm definitely, if I get to season two, I'm definitely coming back because I had a really good time. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws, and our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at B Gordis, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on the Twitter at Maskimu, M A S K Y M O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss The Queen's Gambit Season 1. It is said to be a limited series on Netflix, so I don't think they're planning on a Season 2, but we'll still call it Season 1 just because. Sure. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. It's good to be back doing this in person. Uh, we will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Bye